On episode 261 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to coach yourself and problem solve through adversity with Raheel Manji. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, welcome back to the show. And whether it's your first time or 200th time listening, I really appreciate you tuning in. And today I have an interview with Raheel Manji, who is the CEO of Mission Elite, He is also the uh, former Team Canada and Indiana Hoosier captain. He played number one at Indiana University. Uh, He was a very highly ranked junior, very highly ranked college tennis player, and he was also a formerly ranked ATP pro. And he's doing great things at Mission Elite, helping really fantastic players uh, excel and get the most out of their potential. So really... Glad to have Raheel uh, on the show. As we'll talk about, I met him recently in Toronto through one of my college teammates at his wedding. Shout out to Irfan and Stephanie. A really fun time there that I had uh, meeting a lot of great people. Also met uh, another podcast guest, uh, Gibran. So great to see him as well and my former teammates. So yeah, and then we got to talking and I had realized that I had seen Raheel on on some podcasts and heard him you know speak uh, very eloquently and seen some of his posts so uh, yeah definitely figured out it would be great to have him on the show so we're, we're going to talk about a lot of really important subjects today including creating a culture of toughness and high standards um, as you'll hear he went through a lot of <laughs> tough love at Indiana University Raheel did as well as. Um, the importance of being able to self-coach and be your own cheerleader, um, and a lot of really other great advice for us amateur and club-level players, and some really excellent principles and explanations that uh, of them that you definitely want to listen to. So this was a really fun one, and uh, yeah, so let's get to it. Without further ado, here is my interview with Raheel Manji. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Tennis Files podcast. And it's a pleasure and an honor to have with me Raheel Manji from Mission Elite. He is their CEO. And a pretty cool story. I went to uh, my friend and, and former college teammate, uh, Irfan Shemazdin's wedding, uh, who is actually his, his brother, uh, is a professional doubles player. Uh, and so then I met Raheel and, uh, you know, we started talking and it was just such a great night uh, at, at Irfan and Stephanie's wedding. And, um, you know, I just really enjoyed speaking with you about tennis and come to find out that you uh, do a lot of great things in the tennis world. And then it kind of jogged my mind because I remember seeing like different podcasts that you were on actually and and you know posts and stuff so uh yeah first off great to have you on Raheel and uh how have you been well first of all thank you so much for having me really appreciate that and I love what you're doing with tennis fouls and everything else as well here so first and foremost thank you so much for having me 
Yeah, anytime, Raheel, anytime. And you know, I was also really impressed to, to see that uh, you see your age. You know, um, you know, I think you're only a few years out of college, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, it seems like you're you know very mature, and you you know you've got you know, the entre- entrepreneurship uh, side of you, and you know you formed a great company here. So really excited to talk about it, as well as you know a lot of different ways that we can improve as tennis players. Uh, one one story that kind of struck me, and I know um, you know the audience loves stories. That I read uh, one about you where uh, you had to do a lot of running and your teammate ran over your foot. So you want to tell us about that one? That was a pretty good one. Yeah, that was crazy times. I mean, it was my first year at Indiana and we had um, our head coach was in the military and he ran, he ran the, you know, the program like that. So we had like hell month and, you know, we weed out the week and everything. But needless to say, that whole coaching staff got, uh, got fired in this day and age. Um, but um, we, we had some crazy days, 450 a.m. wake ups you know we were straight to the track it was it was painful days tough days but uh, very very good um if you have a good perspective with it all but basically it was about building your uh mental uh toughness through physical you know discomfort or discomfort as, a, as a, in general and and you know for some people they'll you ask them about the time there they'll they'll be very you know they hate it um but for me i thought it was like a critical time for my development um, I think it's probably one of the most impactful times in, in my life. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so basically it was like you having to run a bunch and then like, based on like where you place, you would, you would have to like, you know, adjust your, like, I forgot if it was starting times or like how much you ran and then like your teammate ran over your foot and you still finished, mm-hmm. you know, barely in time. So I was wondering like, uh, how do we tap into that, like in normal circumstances? Because I feel like, um, you know, a lot of us are just leaving a lot on the table and not not pushing ourselves to our maximum. I mean, I think of like David Goggins, where he talks about like, you know, if you're uh, if you feel like you're you're at capacity, you actually have like you're only like forty percent of the way there, or something like that. So, how do you kind of tap into that, like when when you need yeah. to? Well, you know, it was it was crazy times. I mean, first and foremost, we had a we had a pretty uh, tough culture there. I wasn't doing it alone. You know, if you ask any of my teammates during those times, they all have some crazy stories of their own. Um, and just to kind of be in that environment where everybody is going through. So, you know, like I said, it was kind of you weed out the week type of program. Like I was the only person of my class that ended up finishing through Indiana. They all either quit or dropped out or were kicked off or whatever. So the people that were left, you know, they were really good influences in terms of like, never letting yourself get soft. And, you know, I was around tough guys and, and, and because that was all that was really left in a program like that there. So, well, that's one good thing is like, you don't have somebody soft to your left or soft to your right. So you don't have that excuse. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, as simple as like, obviously it was a great program um, and we wanted to be a part of a winning program. And if you want that bad enough, you'll do what's necessary to stick through. And, you know, obviously you know, like I had a really good scholarship there. I had a full ride there. So I was going to fight hard for, for that and whatever it took. And I had opportunities there. You know, my teammates, you know, Sam Monad got the 300 in the world there. Dan Bernardi, they all were playing, you know, uh, really high in the NCAA. So we had a really strong team, Sven Lalich. And um, I wanted to be a part of that. So that was kind of the sacrifice that was needed. I was also 17 years old. So it was a hell of an opportunity for me to be around like a very older age group that I knew was going to be probably one of the reasons why I could have a pro career if I was going to going to. So I love that. So, yeah. So I guess part of that too is like finding, uh, 
you know, uh, other people who are have that mindset and then surrounding yourself. Um, that that's that's a great point there. So I, I guess it, you know, and generally too, I mean, for whether it's for you know tennis programs that you have or just like for ourselves, like what do you think the key is to creating a culture of of toughness and high standards? Yeah, I think I think it's non negotiables essentially. I think. It's, I think it's about, and this is the, this is kind of a, a thing I'm really hard on. Is just telling the truth. I mean, if you if your standard is high, you know, and, and and you know what's wrong or what's soft or what's cutting corners, I think it's really important that through leadership you're honest about it. And there's different ways to be honest, but I think one really good way to be honest about it is through humor. Um, but I mm-hmm. think it's really non-negotiables. I think it's. It's it's speaking your truth. If you think something like just today, you know, I had a couple of players that I watched. I watched them watch balls uh, just kind of go by them, and it, it sickened me a little bit. And I, mm. I mean, I just couldn't help hold it back. I just had to be honest about it. So I think it's really important that leadership is honest and they stand for their non-negotiables, what they think are their standards. You know, because you probably have really high standards, and if you don't impose that upon your teammates or your players or the program you're a part of. They're not really getting the best of you, and everybody in the back of their mind know that knows that they're kind of slacking and they have more to give. So, it starts there. Yeah, and so what were some of your non-negotiables like when you're playing either at Indiana uh, or on the tour? Yeah, I had a trigger for being late. Like it, it was a trigger, um, and so we set a rule that every minute we were late, we were going to run a seventeen, which now it's a big number in mission. Like we we talk about it a lot. It's basically seventeen sprints side to side under fifty seconds, and so wow. like that was a big trigger for me, being late. That was a non-negotiable because I I think what happened is you know it just shows you don't respect your t- the time, you don't respect what people are doing, and this is and it, it makes a difference between being a recreational team and being an elite team trying to fight for Big Ten championships and and NCAA titles. So um, I think that was a big one there, and of course uh, you know the, the next one was uh, excuses and feeling sorry for yourself. I think those were non-negotiables where it's like, you know, we're just wasting time feeling sorry for ourselves there when nobody really gives a shit, to be honest. You know, you're the only one that really feels sorry for yourself at the end of the day. So that was a big one, not letting your teammates get into that kind of sad, pouty face, pouty mode, you know, just being tough, right? Because, you know, you, you know, it's tough to win national championships. It's tough to win grand slams. It's tough to be on the tour. It's tough to do big things. It's tough to do anything outside of tennis too. And so if you're soft in preparation, you're probably not getting very good results, you know, in such a competitive world. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, what, what other sorts of things do you do to like instill toughness? Cause I feel like, you know, if you, if you're in, you know, soft right now and you, you know, if you just like once, once in a while you, you have like tough things that you do, it might not be enough. So like, I'm curious, like what types of practices you have that maybe we could try out to, to get ourselves to be more tough and disciplined? Well, I think, I think you want to have that as your, I think you really want to try to take it on as your identity, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think before you do that, you need to see the benefit of it. And so this is where the education really is critical. Like, I can't just go to my player or my teammate or, you know, our staff and say, hey, be tough. I think it's really important to understand what being tough is going to do for them and, and, and why it's such a ne- ne- necessary tool for them to be successful. Um, and, you know, like, if, like I said, anything hard is going to have hard days and you're going to need a certain level of tough. So I think it starts with really educating everybody as, hey, what comes out of being 
just a tough beast. And then second of all, it's like, how many tough beasts can we recruit? Because it's really hard for me to change an 18, 19 year old right now, right? Or 20 year old right now. It's tough. They've spent 20 years being the way they are. So recruiting is a big thing. We want to recruit staff that take that have that identity. Like, you know, like our head coach of the prep academy right now, Malik, like you guys are just a beast. I mean, he's 5 a.m. spin classes. Then he's, you know, coaching the guys for six hours. He's running the 17s with them. You know, he's just, and if you look at him, he's just a tough guy. And, you know, his whole career was, was not based off talent. Guy had wrist surgery, played one for LSU, one for Penn State. But he shows our guys what it means to be the example of toughness. And that's what I want. That's who I want to be around. That's who I want our players to be around. That's who I want our staff to be around because uh, he attracts those types of people. Um, so uh, education and recruiting is, is critical, especially when we're dealing with older age groups, I think. Got your heel. So yeah, I love that point about just kind of like making that your self identity, like, you know, I am a disciplined person. And then, um, you know, you, it kind of just gets into you, um, you know, with practice, obviously. Um, now the question for you is like, you know, I, I know there's a lot of us who maybe don't have the resources or, you know, we're like uh, club level players and, and whatnot. Uh, maybe we don't even have a coach, but I'm curious about like how we can self coach ourselves and, you know, be essentially like our own cheerleaders in effect. Cause I, I know that that uh, has a big impact if, if you're able to, to pull that off. Well, that's a great question. The self coaching thing is a huge thing that we talk a lot about. Like, we don't want our players to just rely on coaching. We want them to be able to self-coach themselves and not just play. I think that's just a valuable skill for anybody in any aspect of life because um, uh, you're not always going to have somebody holding your hand. And, and in, in a sport like tennis, if you want to get specific, right, there's no coaching past the NCAA on-court coaching. And so if you just have great coaching but you're not able to coach yourself well, you're probably not going to be a really good tennis player outside of you know college tennis or whatever. So, you know, the other thing is, you know, when you go on the tour, you're going to go to the middle of nowhere, Africa or India or Israel or, you know, the Middle East. And you're going to yeah, at time, maybe you're going to go alone and you have to be able to talk yourself through these tough situations. Because if you if you can't coach yourself in terms of how to solve problems within the match, but also how to solve some of the problems outside of the matches, like, oh, how how do I get through not being around my parents, my family, my my girlfriend, my friends? You're, you're probably going to quit and you're not going to you're not going to get through it. It's the same. You know, it's a, t- it's a there are tough times when you're trying to do tough things. And so the ability to self coach within the matches, but also outside of the matches, which is more of a motivational standpoint, is huge. And then being the inner cheerleader, that's all about that's all about building yourself up when the world is trying to break you down. It's like, you know, you see so many tennis players, they go, oh, I suck. I'm this. I can't hit a backhand, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, like you already have your competitors trying to tell you you suck. Oftentimes you have your away team trying to tell you you suck. Oftentimes there's toxicity and people telling you you suck. Like the least you could be is the one person in the world that is just, you have, well, you have to be your biggest cheerleader because they're, in a competitive environment, there are so many people trying to break you down that you can't go on their team. You have to go be strong and, and really be like in your head, cheerleading yourself and, you know, strong talk, always fight that, like, you know, block it out and fight it. You know? So. Yeah. I love that, uh, Raheel. And so what's an example of like self coaching, like during a match and then self coaching, like, uh, not during a match. Cause you mentioned both are a little bit different. 
Yeah, so b- building tennis IQ. So inside the tennis match, like you need to be like a coach is probably going to know that, you know, statistically speaking, the, mo- the highest percentage way to win a point off the return is to return deep down the middle or, you know, the wide serves. It's really important that you study the game intensely so that you can help problem solve within the match. Okay, how do I manage uh, momentum on my opponent's side? How do I close out the match? You got to be able to tell yourself, okay, you know, like you have to study these things expansive body language when I'm trying to close a match that's self-coaching inside the match or when I'm down you know get the adrenaline going pump myself up get myself kind of triggered and engaged mentally in this match that's self-coaching inside the match so tactics uh you know mental uh tactics uh uh how do I oh okay I'm cramping uh, you know the ATP the energy in your body I need deep breaths you got to be able to coach yourself within the match or not rely on somebody to tell you that because, you know, they can't, right? Tennis is unfortunately not like hockey where you can kind of coach them through. And an example of self-coaching outside of the tennis match would be, you know, you're on a flight to, to, to uh, you know, uh, middle of nowhere. You're going to Cyprus or whatever, and, and you just left your girlfriend or you – uh, you know, or whatever your parents or your family, and you're like, I'm not going to see them for two months. Hey, you know, like, what would a coach tell you in that position? They'd say, hey, look, yes, it's tough. Yeah, you're going to miss them, but you're trying to do something greater right now. Mm-hmm. And these are the sacrifices that are nece- necessary for you to be able to do something greater and make your biggest impact as a person. That's why you're on this flight right now. Okay. Or for example, like, you know, no, don't, don't go reach for the cookie. Like it's not going to help you do everything you can to, to take out the things that hurt you and, and only do things that help you. That's an example of self-coaching outside of tennis. So or outside of the match. Got it. Got it. Love that. Um, how do we become better problem solvers? Cause I know there's, you know, obviously we have varying degrees of skill with that. And, you know, some of us, like we encounter an uh, issue, you know, opponent, and we just don't know what to do. Um, other of us, you know, have, some ideas. So how do we become better at that? That's a great question. I, I just, um, I just had my brother on, my brother worked at Google, Facebook, Yelp, uh, Instagram. And then he started a company. He's, he's had a couple of companies acquired and, you know, like they have a very interesting, uh, dynamic in, in terms of Google. I mean, what they're looking for is creative solution makers, right? So they're looking at guys that can't just be, you know, can't just do the job they're done, but it can actually bring more to the table. And so I, I asked him this question and it, he had a really interesting response. He goes, you know, from the from a very young age, you any problem that comes in front of you, you have to be the person that won't say, you know, like we can't do this. You have to uh, intensely and obsessively search for a solution when the average would walk away. And even if you're not successful in that pursuit, the very fact that you engaged in that and you struggled to solve the Rubik's Cube when people would have left after a minute, like that is how you're training creative solution making. And, you know, the most successful people in the world in any industry, they're all creative solution makers because they bring to the table things that the average won't. And you don't bring things to the table that the average won't if you're not willing to kind of venture out of what is deemed impossible in some very ways. So you're wanting, you have to be willing to take on every challenge that the average person would walk away from. Oh, you know, coach says five minute plank. Most kids are going to say, can't do that. Can't do that. Why am I even going to try to drop it two minutes? Be the person that refuses to say, can't do it. 
do the do the plank and try to get that five minute you may not but it's in the effort and the pursuit of that that you get closer to be to figuring it out and you might find an answer that the average person wouldn't have you know just by trying right yeah, I love that. And, and it also uh, kind of related is like um, fear, which you kind of alluded to, like, I guess people who, uh, you know, they, they think there's certain boundaries and they're kind of afraid to go past it or maybe to like embarrass themselves or whatnot. So, I mean, how, how you know, how does fear play into, you know, tennis and, and life in general and how do you deal with that? Yeah, uh, it's a great question again. I mean, so I tell our guys, I joke with our guys all the time and I put a sign uh I'm going to put a sign at the front of our gate there. It's going to say permission to suck, you know, permission. When you enter into our facility, you have permission to suck. And I often tell our guys, you know, like, it's funny, we're doing a drill today. I, you know, I was feeding the overhead and they were like, everybody, you know, like sometimes you miss overheads, it's windy and it's embarrassing. Right. And yeah, I was telling them like, don't be afraid to fail miserably. Like, don't be afraid to. And I say, here is a place where you have permission to suck. But I want you to go and hit that overhead with like, don't try to force it or hesitate it in because you're scared to look like an idiot. Go, go after it like an idiot, like a crazy man. And yeah, maybe the ball is going to go out of the park or maybe you're going to completely whiff it. But in the non-hesitation, your willingness to jump into the challenge without doubt, that's where eventually when you do click, you click. I mean, you click. And so that's the thing. It's like we have to get over the fear of being embarrassed. Uh, because when you get over the fear of, like, and judgment, you know, like when you get over fear of people judging you and being embarrassed, when you're not afraid to look stupid, I, I, I'm always singing in front of my players, like our players, always like an idiot. And, and, you know, like they all laugh, right? And I don't give a shit. You know, like I don't. And uh, and I just have a great time with that. It's like you just people are attracted. First, people are attracted to people that I think just don't care about what other people are thinking. And I think that's a huge trait for you to go do something bold. Not like Mission Elite, for example. I got a lot of people judging and all that stuff. I don't give a shit. I'm loving this. You know, everybody loves that. Right. And so it's the same thing. It's like uh, you want to go do something great. Like you got to get over that. And when you take the first step to it, you realize like, it's not a big deal, you know? Yeah. I really love that as well. Rahil. Yeah. I remember too, right. I mean, like it's, it's not comfortable. People have a fear of public speaking more than anything and you do it so often. I bet you don't have a fear of anymore. You weren't, I'm sure people judge your podcast there, but look, it's doing great. You're having great people on there. Like I've, I've gone through your stuff there and you had to be courageous to do that. So, you know, props to you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I uh, props to you as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, I was nervous in you know, first many episodes, but after a while now it's, it's, you know, I don't care too much and you get used to, you know, some, yeah. some of the odd comments here and there. Yeah. And yeah, w- when you were speaking about the, you know, fear, I also remembered like many years ago, you know, I, I, you know, this is a baseliner. That was, that was how I played. So then I tried serving volley in a couple points and then like, I, you know, I hit some horrible volleys and I thought, oh, everyone's looking at me there. They think I'm terrible. So I'm just going to stick to my own, you know, game and stuff but then like later on one day i said to myself you know i really want to have this tool and like no matter what i'm just gonna keep doing it for like you know four or five games in a row when i serve and and you know gradually you get it so uh, you get right. over that 
that issue um, right. of people judging you. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. I think you're right too about um, people being attracted to to people who just take risks and and don't really care too much about that stuff. Yeah. And then you started serving volleying a lot more. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I do it here it and doubles. there. Yeah, it, it doubles, doubles especially. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, it feels good to have that that skill now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Raheel, I also want to talk about your career a bit because, I mean, you know, for those uh, people who don't know, I mean, you're a fantastic player. I mean, we did talk about you playing at Indiana, playing number one, and you also, you know, played on the tour as well. And uh, I was curious about like your, your juniors as uh, also because, uh, you know, I just am, am wondering about like the progression of, of players, like, you know, how, how they are in the juniors relative to uh, college and then professional. So like, how did that develop for you? And at what point did you get to like, a, you know, like a top 10? or top five ranking in your uh, section? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was pretty uh, fortunate in that um, I, I rose the ranks pretty fast there because I think, and I still believe this, what it takes to win in juniors is just a, like a, a, a kind of an attitude where I'm willing to die uh, you know, before losing to you and, you know, I'm willing to be out here longer than you. And I was a pusher. I was a moon baller, like yeah. ask her fan. Uh, you know, they were always trying to, I was a big moon baller as a junior, big time. Cause nice. I was just, I hated to lose. And I was always willing to be out there than the guy across. And that works in juniors. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, right around 14, 15, you know, as I started, like, so I grew up kind of in the Rublev, Sarev era, there um and these were the guys who i was seeing in like the round of 16 orange bowl and whatnot and you know eventually as you venture into higher and higher competition you have to transition from like a never die attitude the moon baller to more aggressive but it's really important to keep that core trait because mm -hmm. on the days you're playing bad and the offense isn't clicking i think you need like murray does that a lot you know and nadal does that a lot where they revert to that never die attitude which helps them be great on their worst days when they're not uh, kind of firing on their offensive cylinders. Um, and so uh, I ended up making the semifinals, semifinals of a 25K when I was 16. And the way to do it was that that was when I was really successful in my juniors. Like uh, when I transitioned, it wasn't crazy reckless offense, but it was like almost uh, counter punchy, you know? So I went from kind of moon baller to counter punchy and really alert on defense where it was really like where people would think I was vulnerable. I wasn't really, I'd kind of hit a cheeky slice and get myself an opportunity. Um, but then I found that to be successful in the NCAA, um, I had to be really aggressive. So this was the transformations from a, from a um, game standpoint, never missing. That's how I was successful in, until the U16s to figuring out how to make people vulnerable and kind of like counter punching. And then, you know, that got me on the pro tour, I would say, and, and, and got me into like strong positions in the NCAA. And then to be like one of the top guys there, it took, then I really had to, if you go watch, like there's some YouTube videos of me playing in NCAA, it's very aggressive and it's very imposing. And this was the transition from a game standpoint to be able to then go on the tour. Uh, but at the core of it all, was that uh, competitiveness mm. that, that had to be there from uh, U10 to, you know, when I stopped playing that competitiveness of like, okay, uh, there's, there's a principle at Michelin. It's called the, there's never an excuse to lose. So it's like, okay, there's never an excuse to lose. So I have to adapt my game. Mm. But had I been like, oh no, I'm, I'm a moon baller. I don't know. I don't have the game to be a good 
top NCAA player or top pro, then I would have just walked away. But there, with the never an excuse to lose mentality, that was, that helped me adapt my games. I, I feel like I adapted my game from 180 to from a moonballer to super aggressive by the end, you know. So yeah, I love hearing that. It's super interesting, Raheel. And uh, yeah, I, I remember actually when I was like in the 12s and whatnot, uh, 12s, maybe a little bit of 14s. I also moonballed and got pretty high. But it was funny because yeah. you know there, I remember one of the players who was highly ranked, but I beat him. He was like, "This isn't tennis." I know. <laughs> I, know. I, didn't, I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, that, that's yeah. what we were talking about earlier, right? We're like, they're gonna judge you. Oh, he's a moonballer. He's a pusher. I was screwed. I win. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's what you were doing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, so, oh yeah. So one question that popped up in my head, you know, obviously you, you do want to have that, like, you know, I got to win uh, mentality. Uh, so important, as you said, was the core for everything you did moving forward. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of, um, especially club level players, um, they kind of conflate it, if that's the right word, but basically like they're so focused on the result that then they get like nervous and they can't perform and everything. So how do you uh, kind of balance that out or deal with that, you know, that yearning and drive to win uh, yet, you know, you don't think of it so much like that yeah. it'll mess you up. Totally. Totally. Um, so if you are competitive enough, you realize that the way to help you win is to be process minded. Um, and so I'll give you a story. I had a player a couple of years back, um, and it was uh, a, a preseason to the season of she was going to play in the NCAA. And we're, I'm, I'm on court, and she's really working hard, you know, really wants to win, but working hard. And it's almost like a stressful kind of hard work. You know, I'm like, you ever been around those, like, players that are just so tight, but they want to win so bad? Yeah. And I go, like, like, you got to relax, you know, like, I get it. You want to win, but you got to relax, you got to relax. And she's, and she went back to her and she couldn't do it. Right. She's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I said, okay, sat her on the bench. I said, no, you got to relax. You got to relax. She goes, I can't, I just want to win so bad. Mm. And I said, there, I said, no, 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 no. You don't want to win bad enough. You only kind of want to win right now. Because if you wanted to win bad enough, you'd understand that you have to control your emotions. Mm. And so like, like kind of competitive people, they get to this point there where they care so much, but they can't get over their emotions. Ultra competitive people get to the point where they care even more that they sit down with themselves before the match or the night before the match and say, I am going to leave it all out there and to give myself the best chance to win. I have to let go of the result. So it's that mental contract. Like I always say like, okay, if you're still holding on to the result, you're only kind of competitive. You have to be so competitive that you realize that the way to give yourself the best chance to win is to focus purely on process goals, execution goals, and to leave all the noise and the things you can't control winning or losing out of the equation, you know? So, the, so there's like three types of players, right? Number one is like, I don't care enough. So I don't even care about the result, but my efforts aren't there. Yeah. Then there's the next level. It's I care more, but I only care enough to the point where I still don't realize the importance of uh, I, that I can't control the uncontrollables. And we're looking for the guys that are so competitive that they do everything they can to win, which includes letting go of 
uh, the winning or losing, which is out of their control. You know, it's like, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, it makes total sense. I don't know if you met him, but our uh, Irfan and, and my coach, and you know, there's several guys there and and uh, gals as well who were on the team um, at the at Irfan's wedding with Stephanie, um, Keith Perrier. So like he would always tell us, focus on the process, not the results. And um, I've told this story before, but at my very first college tennis match, we had an invitation at Yale and I was playing like a friend of mine from uh, back home mm-hmm. in Maryland. And uh, I was up on him like six two five one, and I thought about how it'd be awesome to win my first first match and then you know i just tightened up like too much and just you know obviously you know the rest and then my coach told me you know you just got to focus on the process not the results and it's just kind of the learning process that you go through and and you know when you sit down like you said and really study and think like how do i perform at my peak um that's one of the things you got to do is just uh you know yeah exactly so i love that yeah yeah oh that's exactly it yeah 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 definitely real yeah, yeah, I'll have got experience it at some point. Um, one kind of random question I was listening to, or sorry, I was watching uh, King Richard, and I was reminded about the fact that like Venus and Serena, they didn't play any junior tournaments, and I was just curious, especially with you having Mission Elite and helping um, players, you know, into college and pro tour and whatnot. Like, I'm curious about your take on that. Like, is that something that's just kind of rare? Like, do you think that juniors should be played? uh for people for players to like get to the highest level or do you think there's like a place for some some players to like actually skip it and that 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 somehow could be useful yeah it's a, it's a really interesting question i've thought a little bit about especially now as the company starts to overlook younger and younger players right um so i have like uh i have two thoughts about it now i i need to sit down and spend more time on it but i'll tell you my rough drafts yeah uh, of, of this thing so first and foremost one of the tough th- tough things is you know like ideally uh i would love to put a super competitive kid which i think is the base of any successful player who maximizes their potential and when i say like maximize their potential i say i think ultra competitiveness is what maximizes potential and talent it brings you success but ultra competitiveness maximizes potential so if i have a super super competitive kid who is a who is like we talked about a creative solution maker and who will look at a challenge and say i'm going to try to solve that even though people think it's impossible uh okay that and they and we educate them on the importance of hey you may lose a lot but you can't lose your confidence with it in fact, every loss you have, you have to gain confidence because every loss you have, you're, you're going to evaluate the loss hard and you're going to get smarter, wiser, better, faster uh, for it. Then you should gain confidence for that. And if, I can, if we can educate a player on that, so they have ultra competitiveness, we've shifted their perspective to understand that every loss they have should give them confidence, not take confidence away. And, and um, they're a creative solution maker where they won't say this is impossible. They, they're like the type of people that think they can beat anybody. Uh, then I'm going to, I want to put them in the, I, I want to put them in the highest level tournaments I possibly can, mm. because I want to expose, if, if their ultimate goal is to end up being a pro, I want them to have eight to 10, 11 years of pro experience by the time they're 23. Like yeah, that's maybe a little bit of a crazy uh, theory, but that's kind of, because I think, you know, there's so many things to learn to transition the pro. You got to learn the lifestyle. You got to learn, the way they play, you got to learn how to be on the road. You got like, if you have 
like years of experience of that with that, you know what you're getting into. You cut time of transition. It takes people a little bit of transition time to go from like NCAA to pro tour, even if their skill level is there, their maturity is not there because it's a different way of competing. You don't have teammates anymore, whatever. You don't, you're not juniors anymore. And then they play a lot different. They play, you know, more big. And um, so that, 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 that's kind of my theory there. Now, if I have a kid who uh, doesn't have an unweight or I don't feel has an unwavering belief in themselves, or I feel like they can get discouraged a little bit easy, I want to be careful not throwing them into such a uh, deep pool and them potentially drowning. I want them to balance out, get some wins in juniors and, and get some experience high up and, you know, like they need more balance. So if I have a kid that is just like ready to take on the world, I'm going to put him in the, I'm going to put him in the best tournaments ever. And even if he gets his ass beat, but if I have a kid that maybe is a little more, um, you know, needs to kind of like work on confidence a little bit, we need to get him some wins and be a little bit more strategic about it. That's my theories. It's rough traps. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think your kids mostly are? Do you think they're mostly the second bucket where they don't have like that, you know, supreme, uh, you know, confidence about themselves probably? Yeah, mostly all of them. Even the, my, our, you know, like even the best players I've ever met, they, they, it's very rare to find that. Um, it's funny because sometimes my best players weren't their, the, the ones that maximize their potential. Mm. But I, I got like... I would say our head coach now, Malik of the Prep Academy, uh, he's pretty close to maximize his potential because, and he wasn't the best player, but if you if you are around him for two weeks, he is so like, you know, people are scared, right? People are scared. He's not scared to compete. He, he he'll go do tough things. He'll he's a rare rarity in that. He's not my our best the company's best player ever. You know, on the other hand, there's some that were so talented and successful, but miss that. But I would say it's 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 way it's it's like one percent you find have an unwavering belief or perspective on competing. I think it's so rare, and that was a shocker to me a little bit when I transitioned out of playing into more management roles. Is like learning this truth, you know. Mm. Mm, great stuff. Um, as far as um, your play at Indiana, like I think I saw when I was, you know, doing some research on you, you were, were you maybe you were like 31? I know that that was like in your junior year, right? Like what, what was your highest ranking? Was like 30s? Yeah, we got to 17 there. Uh, I got okay. to 17 there. Um, oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, um, Indiana was a, was a great time because um, I just had great teammates, you know, like they were so good. Um, mm. uh, Antonio Semblin. He was our number two. Uh, he beat the number one player in the country back to back to back. Whoa. We had Bennett Crane. Uh, he was, you know, he 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 beat the number one guy in the country. I came on to Breeze. I had uh, uh, Sam Onat end up being three hundred in the world. Like, it's a hell of some hell of some teammates there that really pushed us. Um, you know, and to be able to lead that program with these guys on the team there was was amazing there. And you know, it's funny most of the company's hires are connected to Indiana right now because you know, the, the, the toughness and the lessons that I think we learned in that program through both our head coaches that, you know, coach Jerry Wirtz was number one in the country and he came from Ohio state, very tough program. And then our first one was in the military, you know, and he did unbelievable things with the program too. Very tough approach, Helmuth, all that stuff. 
Yeah. So the type of guys, I know what these guys went through in those years there. And these are the guys I want associated. And, and you know, if you look, there's so many Indiana alum that are part of Mission Elite in, some, in one way or the other. Yeah, I definitely noticed that when looking at the roster, which is pretty awesome, um, you know, for everybody also, for, for you guys to stay connected um, throughout life. Um, what would you say is the difference between like the top 10 singles players in the NCAs versus like, you know, 50 and, and after? Like, I'm curious about like, what, what do you think separated? Like, was it like mainly mental or was it like some other skill sets? What do you, what do you think? Uh, so, uh, top 10 in the NCAA compared to top 50 in the NCAA? Yeah, 15. Yeah, pretty much. Great question. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to uh, who manages it better, you know, like manages the season better. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much pressure every match to keep a ranking that high is so tough. Um, and it comes down to like, I, I really believe it, a lot of it comes down to like, it's so emotional, right? The season's so emotional. You know, you know, like it's so, uh, you're screaming every match, you're playing yeah. clinches, you're, you're fighting, you're with your teammates, you're on the road. It, it's very exhausting on you. And I, I've, I've come to learn how people manage their life outside of the competing within the seasons is critical. It's even to an extent of like, you got to let go of your teammates that don't want to jump on board and do things right. I, you know, there, there was a season where I spent too much time on our, our guys that didn't want to do things the right way. And it took away energy from my performance. And as I got older, I learned that to manage the seasons better, you have to, again, you can't, you got to control the controllables. And, you know, anything that's out of your control or a waste of energy, you have to be like tough enough to say, no, I'm not going to waste my time on that bullshit. Or, you know, like you have to feel like people will wear themselves out between school, partying, uh, girls, guys, whatever. Uh, and, uh, and that season and being on the road and dealing with lineup and dealing with coaches is exhausting. So the biggest help you can do that I think, I think the top 50, top 10, they're all very similar level, but the consistency of having, of winning comes down to a lot, like who can bring their closest to their best. Cause nobody's ever at their best, but closest to their best every match. And a lot of that is done on like when I was like uh, done my playing career, but back in the NCAA, you know, like a lot of the things I was dealing with, with our players were like, are you managing your relationship? Are you managing your school? Are you, Sleeping well, are you, you know? Yeah. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Yeah. Super important. There's, um, outside of tennis managing that, um, 
So how about uh, you, just your experiences like um, transitioning to the pro tour? Uh, I know that's <laughs> such a tough place to play and everything, but I mean, how was that experience for you? I mean, you talked uh, talked about earlier, like, you know, the travel and, and things like that and like, um, you know, t- uh, far out places. So, uh, what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, when I, when I was like, you, when, the younger you are, the less pressure you are, the more you can come out the gates. I felt mm-hmm. like I really, you know, you're, you're almost like a, you have a hunter's mentality when you're young. And so you're not really thinking about things, you know, and so it's really, you're just playing, right. And you're like, you're, you're kind of hunting and that's really important. But when you get to the higher levels, there's a, one of the biggest things is the difference in physicality. Um, uh, I remember like I played, uh, it happened like th- this is one of the things I stick that sticks out especially for my first time around on the pro tours, the adjustment to the physicality and not in terms of like what it takes to win points necessarily that too, for sure. But you're playing in some of the hottest places. Like you're, I'm Canadian, right? And mm-hmm. you're from Maryland. I don't know how hot it gets there, but you know, it's no Australia or South America. Um, it's a big adjustment. And that's one big thing is you're now going out there, you're playing some hot places and then you're playing um, against the best in the world in draw format. So you're not playing like college tennis. One. So every match you play, you're playing to win a title. You got to win five, six matches or seven matches. And every match gets tougher. And obviously in the pro tour, there's so many seven sixes, six fours in the thirds. And it's just very rarely ever a two and two or a one and one. Um, so that's a big thing there. And and then, you know, like I remember I played Marcos Giron. Uh, I was up five, three in the third. Um, and the day before I, in the quarters, I played Marcel Felder. He was about 200 ATP. I won seven, five and third. So I, I beat Felder sometime in the third. And I was, uh, and I, you know, what, one thing for me is like, sometimes my body would really start to ache and I would have trouble sleeping. So then I played gear on off three hours of sleep because that match against Felder took everything out of me. So I play gear on and I go up five, three in the third. So now I'm dealing with the stress of playing a guy that's like, what, 55 in the world now, okay? Uh, it's, it's hot, okay? Uh, and and um, I'm dealing, and, and every point is so physical because he's not a quick player. Like, you got to work your points. And my body starts cramping up 5-3 in the third. Wasn't ready physically for it. Uh, two weeks later, I'm playing Norbert Gombos. He's 70 in the world. Mm-hmm. And I go in a third set, 1-0, and completely gas out. And I worked my butt, like I was busting it in fitness, like crazy. It's another level of physicality. Like what it takes to win points against the top 100 players in the world is, is just people don't understand how tough it is to win a point off these guys. And then every round you win, you got to do it tougher and tougher. Like it's crazy. And you got to do it in some hot places. Like it's just like you got to, it's almost, it's very difficult, but you got to, like I was just talking Matt Rea, uh, Dr. Matt Rea just came into the prep academy. He's now the head strength and conditioning coach for the Saints. He overlooks all the, you know, all the performance department. And we were talking, I go, I asked him a question. That was the one thing I wish I kind of figured out more is I worked my ass off in fitness, but you, you need to know how to do the supplements. You got to know how to do the nutrition properly because that's really what it takes. After I lost the gombos there, I remember I, 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 I rest my playing career. Uh, I, I never, never drank anything but water and uh, on the occasional alcohol, <laughs> you know, but 
no, no drinks, no pop, only water. Right. Cause I, I knew that's what I needed to cut out to have a chance to just finish matches against these guys. Uh, that was the biggest thing. And obviously the travel gets a lot of people like tennis is tough. You have to leave your friends, leave your family. That That's what stopped me in the end there. I wasn't, I didn't love traveling and you know, I was a homebody. And so it's like, it's crazy. It doesn't come down to tennis to, to the tennis at a point. I think it really it comes down to like how much you love the sport more than you love other things in life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then a big thing is like, do you have the physicality to let yourself play your best tennis every single day? Yeah, that's super interesting to hear about that. I mean, I've seen Gombos and uh, Giron both in person, really good players. Um, yeah, that's that's some high quality stuff there. <laughs> Real. Um, very cool. And then, um, as I understand it, you is it that you you at some point you uh, created Mission Elite, you founded it, and then you actually like tried the pro tour again is that oh wow yeah yeah so when i left oklahoma it's funny i like i was supposed to be there for a couple of years and um by the end of that first season or by the end of my uh, the, that season there at OU, we, we lost in the sweet 16 and um i was studying the game intensely obsessively almost um and i probably played four times that whole year but because i was studying the game so intensely like our head coach would throw me in some sets here and there, Rusty. So one, I got over my fear, like I got over my belief of Rust. I started to think, oh, Rust is mental because I'm feeling good. Um, and I really believe that to this day. Like, and I saw it with my head coach at Indiana. He was number one in the country, barely played, but when he'd go in, didn't look rusty at all because he got he was, that was a, that was out of his mind. You know, didn't believe in Rust anymore. And I I would strongly say I don't believe in Rust anymore. Um, so that was one thing, but I was, because of how much I was studying the game, I was playing much better tennis. So I played four times that year at OU, but I was, but when I went in, I was thinking so clearly, cause you know, you know, like you studied the game so much. Now you, you, I bet you wish you were back at Maryland and could apply everything you learn. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I was getting to do when coach would throw me in those practice sets with our guys. And I was like pretty successful. Um, and I said, like, I think I still got more in me and now I have a whole nother level of knowledge. Let me get back out there and do this. And, um, so I went back on tour and it was probably one of the best because I still had that empty hole and I I still think I had, I had more to give. And, um, I didn't know, uh, if, you know, what, what my potential was. So that was my ability to go and see it. I, I also needed like uh, two hip surgeries at the time. So that helped, was why I got, got out of there. But, um, and um, I started, so that's when I started Mission Elite, when I went on the tour there, because I wanted a, w- a way to stay connected with the NCAA. I loved it, loved it. You know, you know how it is. Like there's nothing better than college sport, right? It's crazy. Yeah. I loved it. I hated the pro tour in comparison to NCAA. All by like, yourself. Yeah. Team, t- team tennis. I like that was I everything. So I wanted to stay connected with it. And so I started Mission Elite and it was a basically a management and consulting company for uh, these players. You know, um, it's tough because um, these uh, teams, you know, like you have a coaching staff, right? And these guys, like, obviously, the truth is that coaches in the NCAA, their job is to look up look after the team okay um look after the team and and sometimes that does get in the way of the of the individuals and uh 
sometimes the individuals don't get the attention. It's three coaches for 12 players. That's a one to four ratio. That's tough. So the company was set in place there to give individual attention to players or programs in need. And so it started actually as a management or as a consulting company for the NCAA. Then the pandemic hit. I, I was at, I was in the semis of an event in India, flew back. And, um, you know, it's funny at that point, I kind of was like, I think I know how far I could go. I don't think I reached my potential, but I think, you know, I could have got to probably the 200s, 300s. And, and, but just kind of knowing that gave me a peace of mind to leave. And I saw an opportunity when the pandemic hit, I had all these, like all of my friends on the tour and they came back to no support, no guidance, no nothing. Same with the NCAA players. And I kind of took on the responsibility of, of the company being that for these players there and being the support that is missing, as you know, past juniors, you know, uh, or, or the federation. So the NCAA players, and the pro players that aren't top hundred, they need a place to be to. They need people too, and we were, you know, we were happy to be that for them there. And it kind of grew into what it is now, you know. So. Yeah, I love that. Definitely going to ask obviously more about Mr. Lee, but I'm curious too. How you mentioned that you kind of assessed that you would likely, you know, max would, for you would be like 200 to 300. So it's sort of a similar question, I guess, to the whole like you know top 10 versus top 50 in NCAs, but like. How did you kind of like come to the conclusion that, you know, maybe your max would be 200 to 300s? And then what would be like, what were some things that you would have needed to maybe get to like top 100, you know, let's say? Yeah. Um, I think you need an X factor. And I don't think my X factor was was big enough. I think you either need to be, well, you need to be like complete. Like everybody's a solid player, right? Um, but I think you need like X factors, like you know, a Braden Schnur serve or an Isner serve, or you mm. need like uh Schwartzman speed or, you know, uh, you know, like demon speed. Like, I think that's what it, it takes. So one huge weapon. Yeah. And I don't think I had a huge enough weapon. I think like my greatest weapon was my competitiveness and maybe my tennis IQ, but I mm. think you need like physical weapon, like a huge physical weapons. And, Crazy as that sounds coming from me, I'm a big mental guy, I'm a big competitive guy, but I think you just need like to be a great, uh, when I say great, like top 100 tennis player, I think you need like physical weapons, whether that be super speed or super huge shots. I, I just think that. I think you can get, I think you can get the like clutchness factor. I think you can get the mentality factor. Um, I think it's critical that you have a ma major weapons. And I don't think I had big enough weapons. I don't think I was fast enough or hit big enough, even though I started to develop a little bit of a big forehand and like I had really good like tennis sense. I don't think I was fast enough, fit enough. And I don't think I had a like big enough game. Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause yeah, it, I was trying to think of like some players who like didn't really have much, but even when I was thinking of like Ferrer or other people, like they still have that speed, yeah, which is a big weapon. So like, um, if you had a choice, which, uh, which would be your X factor? Yeah, I would definitely say I'd love like, you know, if I could keep my brain there, I, I would love to have like 
big game just because I, I just think it would be so much. I think if it, it, it honestly, I think it, it it's the way to go because you have to take into consideration the demand that your body takes when you're just a fast player. Okay. I think that's half the thing too. Is can you? Um, did I lose you there? Oh, you're here. You're back. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's got to be the big game because it's a difference between playing points where you got three four shots and you have ten twelve and so. You know, obviously we want, like, I see this all the time. Like, I think there are better tennis players than these big players, but they are so tired by the quarters mm-hmm. because they've had to fight for every point. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know. Yeah, I definitely uh, take that to, like, a big serve. That'd be fun. Yeah, um, cool. Well, yeah, definitely obviously want to ask you about Mission Elite. So I guess you, you, you did explain kind of what it's all about, but I'm curious maybe to even go further into the details. I mean, so, so like with like managing the players, so, so do you help them like, uh, financially as well? Or like, I guess you give them like all the coaching they need, like maybe talk a little bit more about how that works. Yeah. We have a scholarship, uh, we're based off like a scholarship system there. So there's milestones for scholarship there. Like everybody's paying, but it's just, you know, there's milestones to pay to different extents and the support you receive, you know, uh, and uh, depending on the players and what they need, you know, we could go as far as being their full-time guys, like Braden situation where he needed everything and the company took on everything for Braden or Miriam where, you know, she had a great team already set up there. And, you know, we really just took uh, side, you know, the, the support role in terms of like, okay, you have access to all our staff, our resources, um, and we will help with basically any support that you need from, from other standpoints. So variance in terms of, it's really like, we're here to help you as much as you need. And then based off that, we are a little bit of solicitors at least from the elite team forward, very selective as to who we bring on there. Um, and like, we kind of look at character uh, results, obviously they matter it, to, for that standpoint and, and uh, who we think has potential and, you know, chemistry and, and, but from then there's a junior now, like we've really branched into the prep Academy, for example. And now that's giving everybody a chance to follow our developmental pathway to eventually hopefully be a part of our elite team where, Obviously, they get another level of kind of uh, support and um, benefits there. But it is all based off a scholarship, really, you know, a scholarship system where it's not like we're paying anybody, any players. Uh, we might just give them scholarship rates on our services of whatever that may be. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's the approach. And and, and, and so um, we the company was specifically originally set up to be that clear support that was missing for basically players outside the top hundred and from to the NCAA or like uh, uh, juniors, not uh, top juniors, not picked up by the Federation uh, or the, you know, or the uh, national system. So, uh, but now we've kind of branched into filling from juniors to below that to uh, top hundred players even. So like everybody, you know, the company's grown and we can kind of grow with it. So it's interesting, but the, the, the base of the whole company was always to actually, it started with my love for the NCAA. You know, I think, as you know, I think it's probably one of the most memorable times of our lives. Right. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, for us, you know, 
UMBC were kind of a mid-major D1. So like, our, you know, my senior year winning, um, you know, our conference and then yeah. getting the NCAAs, playing Duke, like that was, that was awesome. Um, definitely very memorable and fun to share it with yeah. other uh, like-minded individuals. Yeah. Um, I, I I saw your player roster is and you have Alex uh, Alex Donsky isn't he um the 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 fellow who has like that uh, Operation Lift Lift Off I don't know if he has it does it now yeah. but like you know the the YouTube stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so Donsky cool. you know whenever he's in town there we we, we get him out there we support him uh, we train him you know and and his brother obviously as well Mike yeah. Donsky um, but yeah Alex I played on tour with him we, I won a title with him actually in South Africa. Oh wow! So that's, yeah, so that's where the see. So like a lot of it is like when I stopped, I just went and I basically said I, I knew what these guys were facing, and as I played on tour with these guys, you know, and I knew the challenges they were facing, and I said, okay, let me be the guy to solve this for them, um, and be there for these guys. And so yeah, you know, Alex is a guy we're there for if you know whenever he needs, and um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, interesting. You know, we can yeah, yeah. knew each other when we were really young. And then on the tour, we played together, won a title in South Africa and kind of, you know, took our uh, friendship to another level after that. And yeah, when I, when he was in town, I knew he needed support or the company could support him. We will. Yeah. I love, love that. And uh, definitely tell him to, to keep making more content. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's so cool too. Cause I remember watching his videos when he was like trying to get at ATP point and I saw he's, you know, ranked pretty higher right now. So that's, that's really cool to see as a follower. Um, and just so everybody knows, like the location, I don't think we mentioned that. Like, uh, can you let us know, like, where the location or locations are? Yeah. So the the, the physical locations are all around uh, uh, the Greater Toronto area. Physical locations for you to come in and, and train. But obviously, we have travel coaches set up all across the world. Like that's part of the company too. Is we said we, we we have travel coaches that overlook our players or go with our players or. You know, we have that set up there. Um, we do a lot of traveling ourselves. So, and then uh, so much of the company is is remote. Um, you know, we help through the tennis university, through the recruiting company, which is like an, an agency, um, you know, uh, travel, you know, like I said, travel coaching. Um, and we are working on actually in, uh, two other physical locations right now that when they get approved, uh, hopefully they do, we'll, we'll be able to release those. But yeah, you know, um, the main place will most likely, you know, be in the greater Toronto area. You come out here, we'll, you know, reach out to us and we'll, we'll try to set you up um, and we'll try to hook you up with situations for when you go in there. Because the thing with tennis is, especially in the level that we really started off tackling, which is the pros and NCAAs, it's just they're on the road so much. So they needed those resources that could kind of support their lifestyle for pro and NCAA tennis, which is you know, being on the road. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And we'll obviously have uh, links to, uh, for people to be able to, to check out mission elite and, uh, and contact you and all that. Um, and I know that you have at mission elite 17 principles. I was wondering if you could go through a couple of your, you know, highest priority ones that you think would really help, uh, the audience, um, to, to up their game. Yeah. They're all really important to me, but there is the, re the the reason why the number one is the number one character is everything. Um, that's one of the main ones. That's that's probably the most important one because, well, essentially, you know, your character is what you're made up of, and and that sets the base for everything you do. And the character, your character, can get in the way of your success. You know, in in some ways, I think Tiger Woods' character got in the way of his success. I think we talk about reaching your full potential. 
I think he could have been better. Um, maybe same with Mike Tyson. Uh, well, definitely. You know, he was put in, in jail a couple of years during his prime years. Uh, uh, Allen Iverson, perhaps a little bit. Um, uh, and you see that when, when they make character uh, mistakes away from their sport, it has a huge like. So if you think about Tyson Woods, their character errors were done outside of the court. So who they were as people. And it impacted their success in their craft. Um, and a mission elite is about basically being committed to your mission, which is usually your craft. But it's interesting on who you are in, in that how you are as a person outside of your craft has such a big impact uh, in your success within your craft. So the question is, are you does your character get in the way of your success? Wayne Gretzky, greatest hockey player of all time, was rarely ever in the media for bad headlines there. And so he allowed himself to be liquid and play the and do what he was supposed to do. Nadal too, like you never hear anything. Uh, he's not getting involved in any like, you know, and, and, and Kyrgios, for example, perhaps could be a player that has at times gotten in the way of himself. So has he, has he reached his full potential? Probably not in terms of his, his abilities. Uh, and I think he's had a lot of distractions, but you know, I also I don't like to be too critical on him because I think he's being himself and I think you have to respect that. But my point being is that who you are as a person, do you treat people well? One of the most interesting things I ever saw was when I was at Oklahoma, I would, we had a player, his name is Spencer Papa. He won an NCAA championship and played main draw US Open. And he was the number one guy on our team. And, you know, I'd come from teams where we were really doggy, you know, like, you know, we wanted each other's throats at the time. You know, we wanted those positions and we had some tough cats, you know, some assholes. But that's one of the reasons why we bonded too. Yeah. So mind you. And I went to Oklahoma. I saw Spencer Papa. Everybody loved the guy. He treated the janitor just like the head coach. Nice. He, he, his teammates loved him. So, you know, it's true. Like we're fighting for lineup spots. Oh, if anybody's going to be our one guy that we don't mind, it's Spencer. And mm. now, because he treats people so well, his character is so strong, everybody wants to help him. Mm. Donors, coaches, teammates, everybody's sticking their neck out to help this guy because they just love the guy. Mm. He treats people so well. He's, he's just such a great person. Everybody wants to help the guy. So what happens when everybody wants to help you? Like, how could you not be successful? So that's so true. I mean, no, you know, the asshole on the team, everybody's hoping they lose, even though they're your teammate. It's true. You know, yeah. uh, you know, oh, you know, a guy's so cocky, you know, like people are begging for the guy to lose. So you have all this negative energy that comes towards you based off your character. It's crazy how who you are as a person will impact your success and you know, there, there was, like, I won't name who it was, but there was a CEO, CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world. And he's a good friend of mine and he advises us a lot at Mission Elite. And, um, you know, uh, I, I asked a colleague of his, a VP, and, and I said, like, why is he so successful? I'm, I'm talking about like one of the biggest companies in the world. You'll know it for sure. I just can't say it, right? Don't sure. want to it. But uh, uh, he said, one of the reasons he's so successful is because everyone loves the guy so they put him in opportunities to be successful because that's who they want to be their leader this guy they want to be led by this guy nobody wants to be led by the asshole i think you know they want to take him down 
So it's crazy. That's that's the first principle. Character is everything. Do you get in your own way or not? Um, and so you have to be, you have to live a clean life, be a good person, treat people well if you want to reach your full potential within the craft. I think that's a really interesting principle. A couple other ones is like one that's really cool is like attack the cold. I think it's principle number 14, attack the cold. And people don't really know what I mean by that one, but what it means is that, you know, the cold is a representation of discomfort, Mm. you know, and you just got to, you know, ice bath, you just got to jump in. You have to just jump into these things that are uncomfortable uh, because if you're willing to do that, the world like frees itself, opens itself up to you. Um, anything that you, whether it's asking the girl out, you're been tremoring and fear to do, you just got to go and you can't just go in the cold. You can't just go in and ask, go, you're going to hesitate. You're going to get sweaty. You're going to stumble your words. She's going to turn you down. You have to go, go at it, you know, and Hey, let's go out. You know, she's going to be thrown off by the confidence or, you know, jump in the ice bath, just jump in done get over the fear so i think that's a really interesting principle attack the cold you take that print anything that is scary to you uncomfortable discomfort just go don't even think just go and see what happens to your life like you just you become courageous it's it's not about like fearlessness it's more about courage the courage to just jump into things that scare you and see what that does for your life um you know another one is like number two everything in life is for you Uh, I think that's, that's a really powerful one because I think winners, winners truly believe that everything is happening for them. Like they're in alignment with their goals. And so even when they get the door shut down, it's almost like this door was meant to shut in my face for a reason. They believe in a greater picture to their struggle, to their struggles. And, um, you know, like, and it's funny because everything that I felt has been, you know, that I could have felt would have been like fatal or detrimental to our company has in the weirdest way turned out to be to its benefit, you know, like coaches getting denied their visas to come work for us ended up being the best thing for us in in some weird ways, or like, you know, getting denied facility, you know, opportunities gave me the freedom to, to explore different avenues of the company it's just where I think ultra successful people just believe have this inner belief that even their like losses, their failures are, are supposed to happen for them to reach their greater, bigger goal. And I think that's the case and everything I love, uh, you know, like I love actually making like, it's kind of, I do it as a joke, but, uh, romantic, uh, metaphors, because I didn't, I know it's something everybody goes through romance in their life, but it's like, you know, okay. So you're dating this girl. And you've, uh, you've been, you know, she's 24, you're 24 years old, whatever. And she breaks up with you and you're like devastated. Oh my God, I was supposed to marry this girl. And she was like a, she was like an A or she was like an A minus. Okay. She was an eight out of 10 and you would have married this girl. Okay. But little did you know that 10, you broke up 10 years later, you're going to meet an A plus a 10 out of 10. And now you get to marry that 10 out of 10. If you thing is like, if you would have, if, the eight out of 10 never broke up with you. You would have just had an eight out of 10, but because she broke up with you 10 years later, you got the 10 out of 10. And like that unwavering belief that you were meant to do something greater, you were meant to have a great life is I think the mentality that what we call the mission, a mission elite or the ultimate competitor has where you lost in the finals of this grand slam. And it's the reason you win four. 
So like you know, a couple, there's a couple principles that I think are really cool. Neat. Yeah. I love a lot of those first. I have several follow-ups. First of all, I think attack the cult would be a great uh, book title. You know, yeah. that's something maybe you could write in the future there. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I was listening to a podcast. I think it might have been Ryan Holiday. Maybe it was him, but um, talking about stoicism. But yeah, he mentioned um, kind of like, I mean, I just love this ad- attitude of like, oh, you know, if something bad per se happens, it could be, you know, for better, you know, in the future. Like, I think he talked about a guy who like had broken his leg or something and his friend was like feeling bad for him. And he said, Oh, don't worry. You know, like last time I, I had a a health issue, I I was in the hospital and then I like met my wife. So, you know, I'm I'm sure that like this will lead to something good as well, you know, stuff like that. So that just that like positive attitude is, is like irreplaceable. Um, and, and also I, I did see it speaking to integrity. I saw that you were, um, I think you got a sportsmanship award at some point, like in uh, when you were in Indiana, and uh, d- just all that to say, like it's definitely you know huge. Like if you can show yourself to have good integrity, you'll get a lot of respect, and like you said, people will support you and want to help you. Versus, uh, you know, like say if you just are known as like a cheater or something like that, then like your, I mean, first off, your reputation is going to be pretty bad, but then no people aren't going to ro- uh, root against you. So uh, just a lot of great points there that I I really enjoyed um you talking about so so just um as far as like um availability or or i guess who would who could um join mission elite or you know experience um the training and whatnot like who is like the the appropriate audience well now it's everybody you know like we really made that effort to be make it accessible to everybody because yeah and I, I, at the time i didn't foresee it but you know we we're very selective in terms of uh, uh, pros and NCAA players, and that's all we helped in the very beginning. Mm. Um, and you know that, that that was where my real focus and passion was at the time. Obviously, it was where I related to the best. I'd only played and coached in the NCAA, and I only played on the pro tour. So that's all I kind of focused on and knew. Um, but what happened is, um, got a lot of demand um, from uh, juniors, and you know even. Uh, different people in different in their own different scenarios and you know and, and it kind of like it's kind of warming over time it felt bad we don't have anything for these guys you know we can't we're not helping we're not supporting them um and they want to you know it's very hard to say no to somebody that comes to you and asks for help i i don't think that's a good trait to be like that and so uh um especially people that want want to learn it's like i don't know i don't i don't like the idea of turning people away like that i want want to learn some of the principles that we believe so strongly in at mission elite so then there was the tennis university that opened up to for everybody that was kind of like a virtual platform uh for them to kind of like get coached by us in 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 that first step there and then the prep academy which became open to all ages and skill levels to prepare them for the higher level tennis, which, you know, I don't know if they were getting, you know, it wasn't as accessible for them to kind of, you know, like uh, it's tough. Like the, you know, the Federation, they're very selective three, four players, everybody before the age of 16, 17 should have the opportunity to be trained properly to see their full potential. I don't think it's something you should shut the door down. The problem is there's quality of, uh, there's a quality of uh, there's a shortage of coaches and there's a shortage of quality of coaches. And so we really need to 
provide we, we need our top we need our best coaches to be accessible to the public because there's this idea it's why some philosophers believe that if you were to solve the first uh, global issue you sh you should solve shouldn't be global warming or whatever whatever or poverty it should be education in that um i'm not saying it's right or wrong but it's one that kind of hit me it's that look uh you see a lot of third world countries and how many children go uneducated and uh we have albert einstein's and greta thunberg you know that girl that the uh, climate change girl and they were they had the, they were blessed to have the opportunity to have education but there are a million billions of children in third world countries that don't have the opportunity to be educated because they, they don't have access to education so how many potential uh geniuses are we missing out of that maybe could solve the climate problem or you know the space issues with space or energy or renewable energy but because we have not prioritized educating each and every children essentially what we have done is not prioritize uh, every child reaching their full potential so that's a much grand bigger grand scale of what i think within the tennis environment i'm talking about education like academic education in the world to provide these kids in third world countries who don't have any opportunity to education, the opportunity to be educated and make the impact on the world that maybe they potentially can. Like, what are the odds that we're not missing out on a couple brilliant geniuses who just never, who just died before the age of eight, lack of food or, or, or didn't have proper education. And they could have been the person to solve some of our biggest problems in the world. You just don't know. And I kind of think about that a little bit in tennis is, how do you know we're not missing out on the next Roger Federer who just didn't have access to proper uh, courts or coaching? You know, you don't know. And so whatever we, whatever steps we can take towards maybe finding that hidden gem who could impact the world in a better way, we should. It's, 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 it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. But if we can take small steps toward it, we should. And I think what you're doing when you provide free education on your platforms is a step in the right direction you know youtube's a step in the right direction it, you you don't have to pay for a teacher anymore you're going out and you know like look at the types of people you're having a, the knowledge base you're sharing with your players they could get coaching from your instagram you know um so we're taking steps in the right direction with people that like you that are willing to put free knowledge out there you know yeah Thanks. Really, really appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I just, you made me think about like, you know, there's countless stories of like, you know, kid who like almost was going to die and then like a doctor saved them. And then all of a sudden, like they become a doctor, you know, like where it's just situations where you just, you never know, like if you just give somebody a chance and, you mm. know, health and education, like you said, um, you know, two basic necessities, but you never know how far they can get. So, uh, I really, really enjoyed that, uh, that point you made there. Um, wonder if you could give us maybe a tip or two for club level players who like, you know, when they get into the competitive environment, it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's tough for them. Like they get, they get nerves and like, you know, they're unsure of themselves, things like that. Like, I was wondering if you could give them a couple pieces of advice. You know, we get a lot of players who like they're playing USTA matches and then maybe they'll go to like a regionals or sectionals or even nationals. And it's, yeah. um, you know, maybe they're just like mental game isn't quite there. So any tips for them? 
Yeah, uh, club level, pro level, I think we've all been there like like we talked about earlier there. Um, one big thing that helped me is whenever I would get into that, there, there's two types of um, like mental states I like to think of. I mean, there's the nervous one where you're kind of like trying to protect and just try not to embarrass yourself. Yeah. And then there's the, um, I'm going to go attack this. And it's like, so there's a, there, there's a Ted talk when I was applying, I, I, I came across it. Thank God I did. Uh, but it's a military man. And he talks about, you know, how do these Navy seals tackle some of these, the, the, some of those challenging uh, circumstances or whatever tasks that they're, that are put in front of them. When, if you think about it too long, you can get really, really nervous and paralyzed about it. And one of the ways to tackle it is, you know, like you have to, there, there's two things, right? So, okay, I, I'm at a club, I'm going to go play sectionals. Okay, it's my first time playing sectionals. Uh, is this a threat? Is it going to make me nervous? Yeah, I'm out of my comfort zone completely. It's threatening. It's threatening to, to, to me and, 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 and my, you know, what I'm trying to do. But it's critical that you view things as a challenge over a threat. See, is those two words, threat is fear induced, it's nerve wracking, it's paralyzing, and it's hyperventilation. Threat. I'm threatened. I'm threatened. I'm I'm on guard. You shift that sectionals. Well, that's a challenge. Challenge. Excitement. Aggressive attack. Go get it. And so just like I, I like to use those, the difference. So when, I, when, a cha- when a circumstance is in front of me, do I view it as a challenge or a threat? And naturally, our natural instincts are to view it as a threat. But to go and perform at your best, you have to shift it to, you have to view it as a challenge. Uh, this is at my senior year, I was supposed to play, you talked about playing your old teammate or whatever. Same thing happened to me uh, my senior year. The first match of the season, I was playing my teammate, uh, you know, he was on a different team, my, my high school teammate, and I was expected to kill the guy. But And I knew all everybody back home was going to watch this match and talk about it. And I, I was threatened because I had all the pressure. And I remember I, I came across this TED Talk during this time there, and it talked to me the difference about viewing things as a challenge or a threat. And I, and I kind of like shifted the perspective. So my tip to these players would be, My challenge to them is, can you view it as a challenge instead of a threat? Exciting, go get it, aggressive, let's do this. Instead of a threat, paralyzing, paranoid, scary, uh, scared to be embarrassed, nerve wracking. It's like, it's just a shift in perspective, you know? Yeah, yeah, I really love that. Yeah, challenge, it makes it exciting and something to go for. Um, The TED Talk, was that by any chance uh, by Jocko Willink? Because the guy was like really jacked or was it like a different, like older gentleman? I think it was a different guy, but Jocko has some good stuff. (laughs) Like Jocko talks about everything in life is for you. There's a a video, he goes, lost your job, good. Yeah. Broke up with you, good. That's essentially it. Good, 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 good. Everything's good. Everything's good, you know? Yeah, yeah, I I enjoy his stuff. Uh, Great stuff there. how about one piece of advice that, you know, that you've gotten from a tennis coach or maybe a fellow tennis pro or player that you've continued to implement every day in either your on the tennis side of things or just in general daily life? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question there. I think um, one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever gotten was 
it's really like understanding you're the only one that gets to live your life. So to not over care about what people think about you or how you live your life. Um, And that's where you're allowed to be your most boldest, authentic version of yourself. Everybody's going to judge you. Wow. Are they losers? Because they like, why aren't you out there living your own life instead of judging other people's lives? And at the end of the day, don't do things you don't want to do that aren't good for you. You know, uh, attacking the cold, that's good for you. You don't want to do it, but that's good for you. But don't do things that you don't want to do that you know aren't good for you. Like, for example, why am I playing tennis when it's my parents that want me to? Or, you know, like if I don't want to play tennis, that's why I kind of, I talked about Kyrgios. I kind of respect the fact that he's honest about, he doesn't like tennis. It's not where his passion is. And so, you know, like that, that's okay. I'm not going to judge him. Like it's your life. You get one life to, to live it because people are like, oh, it's a waste of talent, blah, 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 blah. Like I don't respect that. I respect the fact more like you care more about your opinion of yourself rather than what people want or expect of you. Everybody trash talks the guy and, you know, but I respect the fact that he lives life the way he wants it. I think he can treat people better. Absolutely. But in terms of that regard of like, it's your one life, go do what you want to do with your one life. Because at the end of the day, they don't get to live it for you. You do. And when you're on your deathbed, you're going to say, I wish I lived my life and I wish I didn't live my life for somebody else. Good book. It's called Tuesdays with Maury. It, it talks about life lessons um, uh, from a guy on his deathbed, deathbed. And, you know, I always say, like, you want to know what matters in life? Go be around, like, out the elderly and see what they care about. They don't care about, like, social media. They don't care about, like, uh, being fake. You know, they don't care about, like, uh, pleasing others. You know, they, they, they're going to, you know, they're coming to the end there and they're doing things the way they want to do that. And I think that's one of the greatest things is like, you want to go learn to, uh, surf, go, you know, you like, how do you want to live your one life? I think that's huge. That's a huge thing to keep in, in the top of our minds. Like, then you ask yourself, like, you know, sometimes we're doing things that we don't want to be doing. Like, why are we sucking up to this guy? this is not what we want to be doing. Like you kind of become conscious to the things in your life that you're just like, why the hell am I doing this? You know, it doesn't make sense. This is not how I want to live my life. You know? Yeah. A lot of truth in that. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely like more on the people pleaser side. So I've, you know, in the past, like, you know, even sometimes now to a lesser degree, thankfully, you know, do things like for others and, you know, it's, it's, it's good in a way, but then also you're like, oh damn, why did I do this when I could have been doing something that would have advanced myself more often? Yeah. So yeah. it's a, <laughs> it's a tough, tough balance yeah. there. Um, yeah. And I, I do remember, um, you know, th- I forget the name of the YouTube channel, but there's definitely one that I'm thinking of where like this person this guy like interviews like people in their like 90s or 100s and and they talk about like their life lessons uh, and this is t- like millions of views so i'll have to link yeah. that in, in the show notes yeah. Yeah. um that would be great um what do you think like the three biggest mistakes um amateur players like make what do you think yeah um i think the three biggest mistake mistakes that amateur players make is one they complicate the game um they're thinking too complicated it, you know like even it's like uh <laughs> we had some players i'm i'm getting exposed to kind of uh, uh younger level tennis now uh and they'll kind of say you know uh 
do I need to change my grip? And, you know, like, do I need to use more wrist and more backswing and more flick? And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. All you got to do is lift the ball a little bit higher and you're on the mark. Right. And, uh, or all you got to do is really center the ball, just center the ball or step to where you're trying to go. And I think that one of the big things that amateurs make is they, they throw their common sense away and they think that the sport or, or success is more complicated. The pathway to success is more complicated than it actually is. Um, and so I, I like to, I like to think and even have our coaches teach in a very simplistic manner where teach our players how to view this game almost like checkers, not chess. Uh, look, the harder you want to hit, the, 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 the more through the ball you have to go. You know, uh, okay, I missed three balls long. Let me not lift up on my swing. Let me just go through. I miss in the net. Let me keep my uh, left arm up longer or my head up longer. You know, uh, oh, I missed long. Uh, you're, you're sorry, I missed wide. Let me not open up my hips so much. Just go through. Let me just control my hand. Like, in that, you you know, these am- uh, beginner players or whatever, amateur players, they need to learn to problem solve simpler uh, and, and not think it's so complex. And, you know, like that you can't just, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that that's a big thing. Um, you know, the, the, the next thing I would say is, um, I, I think um, people in that amateur level underestimate the the value of hitting hard. Um, hmm. I, I think that the errors to winner ratio is so high uh, in in kind of a, a beginner more so level that um, common sense is like they all think we need to have the big shots at that stage. But like I like you and I attested to to win in juniors, it really comes down to who who's willing to be out there longer and make less mistakes. Um, and it's crazy. You, you and I would both probably know it's like, it's crazy how many mistakes beginner players make. And so if you're just more disciplined and you're just like taking less risks in, in, at that stage of development, you could win everything. And then when you dominate that pond, then you're going to have to learn, okay, I got to go for a little bit more to win the next pond. And it actually eventually comes down to, can you win points instead of but in that early stage, it's everybody's losing the games for themselves. Nobody's ever like being beat. Right. And I think that's a big thing there. It's like, I talk to my juniors a lot about that. It's like crazy. You think that they're a better tennis player than you, but no, you beat your, you just like gave them five errors in two minutes there. It's crazy. So I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, great pieces of advice. So my next question is three books you would gift a friend to help them improve their tennis game. I will let you off the hook with the first one because I, I know you mentioned, I think, Tuesdays with Maury, right? So I don't know if you, you want to just do two or more or whatever. But. I'll do three. I'm a big, big book guy. About, okay. I do. I put out a quarterly book list. Uh, uh, Sweet. You know, so they, I, that's, that should be online too. But Okay. Greatest book I ever read, greatest book I ever read was 12 Rules for Life. It has nothing to do with tennis, but it's a, it's an, have you read, have you heard this book? I oh, have heard it. I haven't read it though. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I actually uh, would probably give credit to this book as being one of the best coaches for my life in tennis too. Um, interesting. Uh, 
it kind of teaches you, it kind of helps you, uh, gives you some theories or perspectives on how to navigate your life in a way that's going to make your life better. For example, like one of the chapters is uh, stand up straight with your shoulders back. It means like willingly take on responsibility. And, and like a lot of these principles uh, do what's, uh, you know, don't do what's uh, exp- uh, like easy, do what's uh, um going to sacrifice for future. I'm not, I didn't mm. say that real properly, but go through the chapters there. You could, it's a way to navigate life, but you could also have it be a way to navigate tennis. I think that's a great book, 12 rules for life. Well, it's another great book. Um, and that's Jordan Peterson, right? It's Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Okay. yeah I've, um, I've seen his stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, another great book would be, um, let me think here. This, I got so many good ones here. <laughs> tough but i really want to say these right um no worries a different type of book would be um oh it's called uh the alchemist okay it's a story type of book but there's a lesson within the story which is this help this was one of the books that got me back to the pro tour the second i read it and it, it was about whenever you're like um kind of like uh you have to listen to your insides and and uh when something's calling for you you have to go and do it you know mm. uh, college coaching called for me at a point going back to the pro tour called for me at a point starting mission elite called for me at a point and to listen to what like your most inner desires are like those are what you value essentially and if you kind of suppress what you value then you're suppressing your one life uh, and so it's all about the alchemist is a story about a, a boy who goes on a journey, uh, a journey kind of into the unknown. And and uh, it's an adventure. It's like a calling to life. And, and so I think that's a really it's a deep, profound book. But the lessons within it are really, really incredible. Awesome. Um, and I think uh, a third great book would be. I like I like to read a lot of different types of books, but um, third great book would be well Tuesdays with More is a great one because again sure. it's like I, I just I, like I really actually am not a big tennis guy, believe it or not. I, I, I think that I I tennis try to do, yeah I try to well not even a tennis book guy I'm not a big tennis guy I try to use tennis as my which is my strength as kind of a a pathway to kind of like what what I think matters which is how people live their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tuesdays with Maury for me would be my third one, just because I think, um, you know, like nobody's going to care about if you won seven, six and a third against John Rocco in the quarters of your club championships 10 years from now. But, and you're not going to care either when you're on your deathbed there. It's like, True. I think tennis, if you love tennis, you do tennis. And if you're good at tennis and you can make an impact through it, like you're doing, I think, um, then it's a really meaningful life's purpose but this is and this is the thing it's like um people that live and die by tennis and view it as life when really it isn't it's important that they kind of keep remember this is just a game there but tennis is a pathway to life and it's a it's a metaphor for life but it but don't ever feel bad because you weren't a great tennis player because nobody really cares um but use tennis to be a great person so Tuesdays for more with Maury is a great one because it's 10 lessons about um, what people value on their deathbed and what maybe you should consider uh, as important in your life. So 
Yeah, wonderful stuff. Um, definitely can't wait to dig into those books there. Appreciate that. So uh, what's next for uh, for you and, and Mission Elite? Yeah, so what's next is, well, we're looking to, you know, we have about a month left of our preparatory uh, academy. Um, we have a bunch of NCAA players and top juniors and, you know, aspiring junior uh, top players uh, coming in there. You know, we want to close that on a strong note there. Um, but what's next really is like with the Rogers cup coming to town there, there's going to be some pro players that we're going to help kind of prepare for those events there. Um, so really kind of focusing in, in on, uh, getting them ready and geared up to hopefully have a great event there. Um, so, uh, we've opened up missionally to all pros internationals that are playing in the event that want, that need a base or whatever. Um, so we'll be taking care of some of these players there. Um, that's really our next big thing. Um, just kind of, you know, with it being our home event, uh, helping them prepare there. So, yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's going to be fun. And, uh, where's the best place or places for people to, to follow you and mission elite, you know, whether that's, um, you know, website or like social media, like anything uh, that you'd like to shout yeah, out. Yeah. The, the best place is probably through the Instagram there. Our guy does a great job of managing that. Uh, social media um i would say that's the that's the place where all the interesting stuff is mainly going to right now i mean obviously we're on linkedin and um uh, we're on uh, youtube and tiktok and facebook and all that stuff but i would say the the main place to go is the instagram there as there's a lot of interesting stuff there and our guy does a great job managing that's a lot it's a full-time job for him <laughs> so yeah, yeah yeah definitely <laughs> definitely is um very cool um so last question that I pretty much always ask my guests, and you've given us a lot of uh, amazing advice today, really, which I really enjoyed, and I'm sure the viewers uh, uh, have as well, is what's one key piece of advice that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? Yeah, one, one, one key piece of advice is, is this theory that we talk a lot about. It's, uh, you know, micro-adjusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is like... Um, you know, you have 24 seconds between each point and you should use those 24 seconds to evaluate, but truly evaluate what went right and what went wrong. And I think what a lot of players they do in between the points is they just do use it as a kind of get their uh, breath back. But if you want to progress fast, you should use that time period as uh, almost a judgment period of the process. And so did I miss long? Okay, I got to bring it down. Did I miss wide? I got to bring it in. Did I miss that first one? Then I got to stay up on my first serve there. And I would say that uh, the faster you want to grow and improve, the more you need to micro adjust and think critically about your successes and your errors. I think, you know, good players think about what they're doing right and wrong every once in a while. And great players think about what they're doing right and wrong constantly. Um, so I think micro adjusting would be one of the, you know, the, the, the key area within a tennis game that players should really, you know, how often do you micro adjust? And that develops the self coach that we talked about earlier in this podcast. That's how you become a self coach. Love that. Awesome stuff for So is there anything else that you want to uh, just mention, you know, I'll just let you have the floor in case there's anything that, you know, I may have missed that you just want to want to shout out. No, you know, like all I want to say is, you know, first and foremost, I really appreciate you having me on here. And uh, I've said this multiple times with the podcast there. I think it's incredible what you do and your passion for this. 
and that you're willing to share so much knowledge with, you know, the public. I, I think that's like a very a noble and, and meaningful uh, trait, you know, that that you, you're, you're doing through Tennis Files. I think that you're doing a lot through it. So first of all, it's really honored to be on here, right? And I really appreciate you asking me to be on here and uh, having this great conversation. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, last I would say, you know, like, uh, yeah, keep in touch. And uh, if we're ever, you know, connected, whether that's through our friend or just, you know, same city or whatever, I'd love to reach out and grab, grab a drink. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I definitely love that. And yeah, just, um, you know, I really appreciate the kind of words and just super impressed by you as well. Um, like I said, you know, it's, uh, you're a sharp young man, you know, only 25 and you've, you've, uh, created a great, uh, great resource for players and you're trying to, you know, just improve, uh, as many people as you can. And that's uh, extremely noble and, uh, noteworthy. So, um, kudos to you and, uh, obviously best wishes, uh, on it. I know you'll do great things, uh, in the future and definitely everybody should check out uh and we'll have all the links uh, on the show notes page for you to to check out the various resources including uh the books and i'll also get the quarterly uh, book list uh link as well and and all that so thank you raheel uh definitely hope to see you uh, again soon uh, hopefully in person and uh yeah really appreciate you coming on it was fun really appreciate it awesome awesome okay let's keep in touch definitely thanks raheel okay cheers cool. cheers all right. I hope you really enjoyed my interview with Raheel. Thanks for your time. Uh, it was really fun uh, talking to you. Learned a lot for sure. I'm definitely going to re-listen to this one. And uh, for any of the links that we mentioned today, including the books, TED Talk, or the quarterly book list, uh, and Mission Elite's various uh, yeah, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and their main website, check out the show notes page, which you can check out by going to tennisfiles.com slash 261 or tennisfiles.com slash podcasts. I hope I have that right. I think that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, anyways, besides that, I hope that you're getting to uh, work on your game and improve it, you know, studying the right sources, whether that's the podcast here or any other coaches that you uh, enjoy learning from and think are well suited to teaching you the game. I uh, really do appreciate you listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and if you enjoy the podcast, I would definitely really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the podcast. And you can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or just clicking the review button in Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice that you use to listen to the show. Uh, I do find that Apple Podcasts is the biggest mover in terms of getting the show higher up the rankings, which just means that more people see it and get to listen to and benefit from. So you're definitely doing a good service by leaving a review or a rating. Both is great. Either one's great too. Uh, so thanks for that. And also want to leave you with a quote, as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by Nelson Mandela. And Nelson said, the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. So we definitely did talk about that on this show about just, um, you know, if you're, if you hit adversity, you just have to think about it in a positive way that it will just present newer and better opportunities for you, whether that's, you know, losing the match or a tournament or separating from a coach or just other life events. So yeah, love that quote. Thank you, Nelson Mandela. 
And thank you again for listening. So I definitely look forward to bringing more great episodes for you. And I think uh, you'll uh, really be interested in the ones to come. So with that, I bid you adieu. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host, Mirabana Ranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.